Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. One day a mother was approached by her young son and he asked her the dreaded question that no mommy wants to hear. He said, mommy, where do we come from? And she cringed. The mom just cringed because her baby, in her opinion, was too young to ask this type of question. And so she battled with it, but, but reluctantly she decided to give him all the answers, both naturally and spiritually. So she started the conversation with how God prepares a man and a woman for marriage and brings them together. And then she explained conception and told him how God, with the help of daddy, forms the baby in the mother's womb. She went through the details of childbirth and how a baby is delivered. And when she finished her lengthy explanation of where babies come from, she noticed that her young son just simply looked overwhelmed. And so she looked at him and she said, son, are you okay? And he said, I I guess so, mommy. Johnny's family is from Atlanta. I just wanted to know where we lived before we moved here. (laughs) Being a mom is tough. I guess, I've never been one, but, but I, I'm, I'm guessing that it's tough. Trying to navigate through all of the tests, the trials, triumphs, that cannot be easy. Knowing when to celebrate with your children, knowing when to cry with your children, that has to be tough. Knowing when to speak and when to shut up, that has to be tough. But here's what I know about moms. Moms are tough. God made you tough. Every mom, you are tough. God made you in such a way that you can endure the storms. God made you in a way that that you can endure life's trials. Though it seems like the world is caving in on you sometimes, moms, God made you tough. The term Mother Nature is used to describe nature personified as a woman being the source and guiding force of creation. Now, now before the the legalistic shrewd in the audience starts to correct my mindset, please understand this. I wholeheartedly believe that God Almighty controls the wind, He controls the rain, He controls the storms. I believe that is under God's control. But some of us, we like to refer, without the legalistic mindset, we like to refer to the changes in weather patterns as Mother Nature. Mother Nature has been accredited with destroying cities and taking lives. Mother Nature has a mind of her own and seldom cooperates with our schedules. She likes to rain on on parades. She likes to rain on wedding days. And with no disrespect intended, I can see why nature and its forces are described as Mother Nature. Having been raised by one and being married to another, I know that mothers can be a force to be reckoned with. That's where all the women are supposed to amen me right there. eh? I know that mothers can be a force to be reckoned with. Amen. Amen. But see, also the men in the room can amen there too because you've endured that also. Mothers can be a force to be reckoned with. There you go. You catch a mama on a good day and she can make life happy for everybody that comes into contact with her. But you catch her on a bad day And she can wreak havoc on everything in her path and destroy it along the way. When 
Women have this, this ability to control the temperature of the home. You do, women. You've, you've got that ability. You can control the temperature of the home. And this is a huge responsibility, but it's a responsibility that cannot be ignored. Channeled in the right direction and for the right cause, this God-given determination that mothers have, it can save your home. But women, be careful. As much as we as men like to watch the movie Twister every time it comes on TV, most men are not storm chasers. We don't particularly care for all that drama. So if your nature is to cause disruption in the home, then I'm simply going to ask you to do this. Change your weather pattern, okay? Change your weather pattern because most of us are not storm chasers. One thing that I have learned clearly is that when it comes to a mom and her young, get out of the way. Because it's in her nature to defend her offspring. It's, it's, it's this God-given instinct that they have to defend their offspring. The moments are, are few and, and far between, but on occasion, I have witnessed your pastor's wife get a little undignified when someone comes against her children. Don't mess with mama's babies. I have seen the worst come out in her on those moments. Justified, but still scary. <laughs> Throughout nature, we see this played out. I have been attacked by mama mockingbirds protecting their young. Anybody ever been attacked by a bird that's come at you? At our old house, we had a bush right outside, and there was a nest in there. And this, this mama mockingbird, she would attack us every time we would come out. I mean, we're walking out, and we're looking for, you know, the kamikaze flight to come in because she would just come right at you and just scare you, scare the living daylights out of you. I have been growled at by mama dogs warning me that I am too close to her litter. I have been attacked by mama wasp as I spray the nest, destroying their offspring before they even have a chance to fly. How do I know that they're mama wasp? Because yesterday at the women's brunch, I was informed by a certain worship leader's daughter. Uh, her little girl said that, that um, uh, boy bees have stingers and girl bees do not. And so that's how I guess I could know that it was a mama wasp. I have men and women that come to me for counseling. And, and I'll be honest with you, I'm willing to confront most problems in people's lives and, and tell them what needs to happen. I confront them in love, speak the truth in love to help them grow in Christ, according to Ephesians 4. But sometimes I have to, to really get serious with them and tell them some of the things that, that are, that's hard to hear. And, but at the moment that that mama starts talking about defending her child, I'll just agree with everything that the woman says, even if I don't, and I will slowly get out of that counseling session because mamas are fierce when it comes to their young. I'll tell her, I'll look at that woman right in her face and I'll tell her that she needs to pray before she yells at her husband. You need to go find a quiet place, cool down, pray. Don't yell at him. It's just going to escalate from there. I'll tell her, you need to treat your in-laws with more respect. I know they're getting old and they're nosy, but, but listen, just treat your in-laws with a little bit more respect. I'll tell that woman that she needs to watch her spending, that she needs to be a good steward in that home and watch her spending. But at the moment that she informs me 
that the soccer coach yelled at her baby boy yesterday and she killed him and threw him in the dumpster behind the rec center, I will just look at that woman and I will say, he probably deserved it. Because you don't mess with a mama when she's defending her young. 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 16 through 27. This is towards the beginning of King Solomon's reign as king of Israel. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 16. And right off the bat, first verse is going to get your attention. Here we go. Then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. The one woman said, oh, my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth, and we were alone. There was no one else with us in the house. Only we two were in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him, and she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept, and I laid him at her breast and laid her dead son at my breast. When I rose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had born. But the other woman said, no, the living child is mine and the dead child is yours. The first said, no, the dead child is yours and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. Then the king said, the one says, this is my son that is alive and your son is dead. And the other says, no, but your son is dead and my son is the living one. And the king said, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, O oh my Lord, give her the living child and by no means put him to death. But the other said, he shall be neither mine nor yours, divide him. Then the king answered and said, Give the living child to the first woman, and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. It has to be tough being a mother in today's society. So many things that is fighting for the attention of your children. So many things that is guiding your children in the wrong directions. I can only imagine how tough it is to be a mom in today's society. And on top of that, I feel like we, we have this, this epidemic where we are losing godly women to look up to. And so many of you moms in the room, especially you young moms, I, I, I fear sometimes that you don't have the examples in your life to look up to role models that can help guide you and lead you on how to be a godly mom and how to raise your children. The Bible is full of excellent role models for mothers. And in our text today, we see a mother that is not really such a good role model, but somehow by the end of this text, she becomes a good role model. And, and I'm going to show you that transition and how it takes place. The Bible does not even mention her by name, which is somewhat true for most of you moms in the room, because most mothers, they have seasons in their life where they are not known by their real name. Some of you, you haven't been called by your first name in years. Because you are, are known as, as, you know, Kendall's mom, Caleb's mom, you know, Riley Rue's mom, Tanner's mom. I won't leave you out, Sydney. Sydney's mom. You just, just insert your child's name in that blank. 
And, and that's what you've become known as. Coaches call you that. Teachers call you that. Other parents call you that. Your, your, your child's friends, that's what they call you. And so you don't even have a name anymore. Who they are, what they do, and all they contribute is never fully recognized in a mother's life. And the woman in today's text, she's not even given a name. She's not even the star of the story. The way I read it, it sounded like she was kind of the star of the story, but, but this story is not about her at all. She's just a role player, a supporting cast member in the big picture of King Solomon's life. That's really who this is about. Earlier in that same chapter, God tells Solomon, he says, ask me for anything and I will give it to you. He could have asked for riches. He could have asked for fame. But Solomon says, God, I just need wisdom on how to govern this great people of yours. Could have asked for anything else, but he says, I need wisdom. And God tells him, well, I will grant that. I will give you wisdom. And because you didn't ask for all the others, I'll give you that too. And he becomes a very rich and well-known man. But God gives him the wisdom and a discerning mind. And then right out of the gate, this wisdom was challenged by these two women fighting over a baby. Now, let me, let me bring your attention to this. This is very important that you realize that this is a true story. This is not a parable. In the New Testament, Jesus would tell parables, and, and, and they were earthly stories with heavenly meanings to better explain the kingdom of God. And so Jesus was making up stories to better explain the principles of the kingdom. That's not what was happening here. This is, this is actuality. This really happened. This is a true story. This is part of Israel's history that King Solomon, not long after he became king had to face these two women and needed God's wisdom on how to deal with this very difficult situation. We don't know who she is, but we do know what she is. First verse that I read to you tells us, the first verse about this woman tells us that she is a prostitute. The very first time that we hear about her, she is described as a prostitute. That's quite a first impression, isn't it? I, I remember one year we were coming back from the Catalyst Conference in Atlanta and the staff and I, we were riding in the church van coming down the interstate and we were all just wore out and we got to Valdosta and Josh Bryant said, hey, there's an academy sports there. Why don't we stop at academy sports? And we'd never been, many of us never been. And he said, there's good deals in there and we needed to stretch our legs a little bit. So we, we got out and we walked in academy sports there and after I walked around the store some we all kind of convened back around the front while somebody was checking out and uh and and lo and behold a friend of mine a childhood friend of mine a guy I grew up with another pastor's kid we grew up together he comes walking in through the door we're all tired we're, we're wore out but but it was good to see this old friend so I say hello shake his hand and his family's with him right there and, and my wife wants to introduce the staff that is standing there to this old friend of mine that, that she, she knew. Now remember, Mandy's a little tired. We're all give out and stuff. And uh, I know it's bad. I'm picking on her right now on Mother's Day, but, but I'll pay for it later. It's okay. It's, uh, she will release the storms. Here we go. So he walks up. Mandy says, hey guys, this is Troy. Troy and Rocky grew up together. Um, they went to jail together for underage drinking. what what just happened really that's that's the first impression you want to give everybody that and and 
yes, it happened. I was 15 years old and we got caught in Swanee County drinking too young and, and, and we spent a night in jail. It happened. And Mandy just introduced this guy as he spent the jail or spent the night in jail with my husband for underage drinking. I'm going, oh my Lord. I'm looking at the guy going, I'm sorry. His little daughter, she was so funny. She's on his arm and she hears that and she's like, Like, Dad, you've got some explaining to do. First impressions. It'll mess you up. And the first impression that we get of this woman is that she is a prostitute. You don't get much worse than that, right? That's our first impression. She is a prostitute. That's what God just decides to tell us about this woman. But what's more important than who she is and what she is is this where she is because that's what really doesn't make sense she is standing before the king how does a prostitute a lady of the streets a woman that makes her living by sleeping with different men how does a prostitute get into the presence of the king of Israel? You see, the protocol was set back in Exodus chapter 18, even before Israel had a king. When Moses was leading the children of Israel, the Hebrews, out of Egypt and they were in the wilderness, one day his father-in-law comes to him, thousands upon people that he's leading. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, comes to him and he says, you're killing yourself. He said, you can't take the cases of everyone. You can't counsel with everyone. You have got to get smarter. You, you cannot do life like this anymore. Your leadership is going to suffer. You, you are going to die. You cannot do this. And so in, in Exodus 18, 21 through 22, Moses gets the instructions on how to do this in a, in a more wise way. And so verse 21 says, but select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens have them serve as judges for the people at all times but have them bring every difficult case to you the simple cases they can decide themselves that will make your load lighter because they will share it with you and so there wasn't a direct line to the king the precedent had been set there's a chain of bureaucracy that has to be, to be followed before you will ever get into the presence of the king. Layers and layers of red tape that have to be worked through, dealt with, before you ever get to the king. But it is in this mother's nature to do whatever it takes to get into the presence of someone that can get her baby home safe and sound. That's what she's concerned with. That is her tunnel vision. That is all that she cares about at that moment. I want my baby home safe and sound. And we don't know how many people she had to go through before she would finally get to the king. We don't know how long this took. This could be weeks or months even of going to, to, to court case after court case, hearing after hearing before she finally stands before the king but she was determined I'll do whatever it takes because I want to get my baby home safe and sound we have seen this played out in our lives so many times like a mama or a grandmother that prays for her babies every night 
She may not know who, who they're with or where they are, but that mama will hit her knees and pray and pray and pray just to be sure that her baby gets home safe and sound back in that bed. And, it, 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 and the older you get, the, the more difficult it becomes because that baby hits 16 years old and now there's some responsibilities there on their life and we're not even sure that they are going to follow those things. Accountability, they need that, but, but less, they become less and less accountable because they're just not under our watch all the time. And the older they get, the more prayer that they need. How many of you are so thankful for a mom or a grandmother that hit her knees and she was determined to pray you to safety? I don't know about you, but there were moments in my life when I probably should have been dead, but I had a mama at home praying for me over and over. She was determined, I will hit my knees and I will stay on my knees until I get into the presence of a king because he's the only one that can bring my baby home safe and sound. You better be thankful for a praying mama. Those of you that had praying mamas, you better call her today and you better thank her for praying for you. And it was in this mother's nature to do the same. Whatever it takes to get into the presence of the king, I will do that because I want my baby home. You know, one of the greatest promises of this story for all of us, not just the moms in the room, but for all of us is that apparently you don't have to be perfect to get into the presence of the king. You see, that's, that's some of your problems right now. Some of you, you keep going through life and, and you're avoiding a relationship with Christ. You're avoiding growing in that relationship with Christ. You're avoiding being a part of a community of believers and committing to attending a church on a regular basis because there's so many things wrong with your life and you keep thinking to yourself, once I get all of that fixed, once I am, am more perfect, then I will be able to be in the presence of a king. Church, you don't have to have it all together for the king to hear you cry. The king hears your cries now. And let's just be honest. There's some mamas in the room right now that you've got a few problems. I'm going to deal with the men on Father's Day. Just let me deal with the women right now, okay? Mamas, you've got some problems. We, we, we know that. We recognize that. Some of you, you battle anxiety. I, I know that's difficult. It's a, it's a problem. Some of you, you're, you're a little too overprotective with your children. Need to lighten up a little bit. Some, you won't cut the umbilical cord and, and your baby's 25 years old and, and, and still living at home and you need, to, you need to put some responsibility on them. Some mamas in the room, you've, you've got a poor choice in men. In men, Daddy's not in the picture anymore and you keep picking the wrong men to introduce to your children. And, and, and that is your downfall. There's some moms in the room, you're just depressed and, and, and you're working through all that. Nowhere near perfect. Moms just have problems. Men have problems too, but a lot of times our problems are the women that have problems in our lives, but we're going to deal with that later. Let's going to do your problems and your poor life choices have never scared the king. Don't think for one moment that the king is scared of your life. He has seen much worse and he has pulled people out of that darkness. So finally she fights through all the red tape and she finally gets her day before the king of Israel and she begins to pour her heart out to him. She begins to tell him the story. I had a baby. 
Three days later, this, this woman that lives in the same house with me, she had a baby also. And then in the middle of the night, she rolled over on hers, smothered her child to death. She took her dead child, brought him to my room, put him in my bed and took my living child out of my bed, put my child in her bed. I woke up the next morning and realized that is not my child. She pours her heart out to the king. One of the things that I love about this, this mother's nature is that she refused to accept the dead child as the one that she gave birth to. You see, when you first had that baby, you had all these hopes and dreams. That baby had a future, a promise, big plans. But the enemy's out to destroy that child's life. Any way that he can, he wants to derail that baby from the plans that he has for your child. Some of you moms, you, you've, you've got to reignite that flame, that passion inside of you to once again hit your knees and find the presence of the king and pray for that baby over and over. I don't care how old that baby is. You need to be believing and asking God, God, I need, I need my child to come alive again. This woman refused, absolutely refused to accept the dead child as the one that she gave birth to. And what the world needs are mamas, more mamas, who will not accept anything less than what they gave birth to. A child that still has a hope and a future. And so Solomon, in all of his wisdom, he develops a test for true motherhood. You'll always be able to tell who the real mamas are by how they respond to this test. So Solomon says, get me a sword. We will cut the baby in half and give half to mom one, half to mom two. Get me a sword and let's cut the baby in half. And the fake mom said, cut him in half. The real mom said, stop. Give the baby to her and just let the child live. The real test of motherhood is, are you willing to give up your will so that your child may live? Because that's the test of motherhood. Are you willing to give up your will so that your children can live? Moms, listen to me. This is where it gets tough, but listen to me. You can't live like you're 18 years old and make poor decisions with your life and expect your child to live spiritually. They're watching. You can't, you can't make those poor decisions and I'll, I'll do it like I did in the first service. I apologize to the 18-year-olds in the room because we have some students in this room that even as teenagers, they are making better decisions than some of the adults. Loving Christ and, 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 and living a life that glorifies his name. Moms, listen to me. You cannot live life without restrictions. You can't live life just aimlessly wandering and, and, and partying and, and, and finding the wrong crowds to hang out with and then expect your child to live spiritually. Are you willing to give up your will so that your child may live? Because you can't have it your way and have a spiritually healthy child too. So what are you willing to give up? Are you willing to give up your desires so that your child can live? 
And the real mom passed the test and was willing to give up her desires so that her baby boy could live. And then here, here comes the reward for the mom. You ready? Solomon says four words in verse 27 that changes everything. Here's what he says. She is his mother. That may not mean much to you, but I want you to think about it. Think about where we started with this woman. Prostitute. A low life of society. And now the king, after she passes the test and lays her will aside so that her child can live, he looks at her and says, she is his mother. In 12 verses, this woman goes from being a prostitute to now being called a mother. He never calls her a prostitute from that moment on. She may have made some mistakes in her life, but make no mistake about it. She is now a mother and godly motherhood has the ability to take all that was wrong with your life and make it right in your life. Women, that is the gift that God gives you. Your past mistakes, they shrink in comparison to the sacrifice that you are to the sacrifice that you're willing to make for your children. Things, things are forgotten. Things are laid aside because how, of how much you care for your children. And so what are you willing to sacrifice for the lives of your children? Because it has the ability to rewrite the story of your life. Fighting for your children redefines who you are. She was not who she once was. She is a mother. And that's what women do. The answer to the question is sacrifice. That's what a godly mom does. She sacrifices time and time again. And it rewrites your story. You're not who you once were. You are a mother. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.